Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Well, hello, podcast world. Welcome back to another exciting episode of FNO InsureTech. I am your host, Lee Boyd. The other host, Rob Beller, is unable to be on today, but that's okay. We're going to continue on without him. And Rob, we wish you the best wherever in the world that you may be. Um, you will be missed, but I'm sure you'll be back next time. Uh, I'm really excited about today's episode. Uh, today we have Homie on. Homie has been on the podcast uh, already. We had him on back in 2021 where we talked to one of the co-founders. Today we have Doug Shadler on who is a co-founder and CEO. And he's going to talk all about the story. He's going to tell us where Homie came from, the idea that started it. He's going to talk about the big pivot that happened, uh, that got him into the insurance world, hence why he's on the InsureTech podcast. He's going to talk about the technology, and then we're going to get to jump into a little bit about the culture and kind of what drives Homie. So I'm, I'm very excited about this one. Um, without my host here, I don't have a lot of jibber-jabbering to do uh, about the weather or about the day. So with that, we'll go ahead and jump on in to our podcast with Doug Shadler, founder and CEO of Homie. Well, hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am here with Doug Shadler, founder and CEO of Homie. Welcome, Doug. Lee, great to be with you this morning. I'm excited to visit with you. Homie is kind of all over the place. We're hearing their name. We're seeing their name. Uh, it, it's going to be a great conversation. Where's home for you? So we're based in uh, Tampa, Florida. We've got... We've got about uh, almost 100 folks in the company now. We've got a big, most are in and around the Tampa area. Um, I think with, with COVID uh, a few years ago, definitely on the, we've got about 30 of those are developers. Um, yeah. That we've, we've got an unbelievable team there, but they're very distributed, which for, for developers is pretty standard. Um, otherwise, most, most of our people now are, remain in and around uh, the office here in Tampa. Was there a group at one time who is kind of based out of Ohio where you kind of split there for a while? Yeah, our development group initially was had a core in Ohio, which is where my one of my my companies uh, was prior. So we had a good uh, Dave Theus, my co-founder, was was based there. So we, we built out a team in Ohio uh, just because we knew the development teams there well and the talent. Since that time and, and with COVID, we've, we've really had to, in order to get the best talent, be more flexible around just having a centralized location with development. So um, I'm happy to say the, the team we've got in place now is, is extremely capable and the velocity of the, of the code base uh, that they're writing is, is, is very good. So couldn't be more pleased with that, with that team, uh, but we've had to have it be just distributed around the U.S., we started this conversation off pretty quick with technology, code-based developers, but I know a lot of people, when they think about Homey, they think it's a contractor network of sorts or it's something like, but yet we instantly jumped into technology. Why don't you give us a little bit of, about Homey 
What is Homey? Yeah, so it's a, um, I founded the company um, about just about five and a half, six years ago as a software solution. So we didn't target the insurance space uh, out of the gate. We really had, uh, and, and uh, just a quick piece on how I thought of the concept. Um, I was traveling, uh, I was in San Francisco, I was speaking at a, at a um, conference. And uh, in order to congratulate myself on a, on a great job, I decided to get a, a steak um, off of Union Square. And I sat down at the bar, so food came, and then my wife texted me that um, the air conditioner was out in our, in our home in Tampa in the summer, which is extremely humid and hot uh, yeah. in Tampa. So I politely texted her that my food was on the way and reminded her I was in San Francisco, uh, you know, a couple thousand miles away. And could you have one of our neighbors help? And I even provided a few names of some handy neighbors who would know some HVAC technicians. And at that point, I got a lot of mean emojis back from her. And I knew, <laughs> I, knew I had a problem on my hands. So I, uh, I had the bartender cover my steak. I went out on the sidewalk. It was very noisy uh, in the restaurant. And for about 30 minutes, tried to from San Francisco, contract an HV uh, technician in Tampa in the summer. I think it was a Friday too. Um, so oh, very painful experience for me. Uh, and the best I could do was get someone to, uh, only after I Venmoed them about $500 to tell me they could come the next morning. So uh, we have we have three kids and three dogs. And I, I called my wife back and said, hey, great news. We've got someone coming tomorrow morning. And I don't think she hung up on me immediately, but she said, enjoy your nice, cool hotel room. They're not going to sleep tonight. Uh, and the dogs yeah. are not going to like this either. So it wasn't, it wasn't a very pleasant experience for me. And I, I came back to my cold state at that point. And, and I said, that was, that was very painful. Is there, is there a technology, is there a way to, to not have that occur, occur again for me and other travelers when they're on the road? Yeah. So, that was really the genesis of it. And I, I looked at a lot of the, um, and I'd always found personally getting, whether it's a plumber or an HVAC technician, you know, the, the whole process of, you know, is, is pr the pricing transparency. It's a very fragmented market. There's no, you know, national provider, very few statewide providers. So just found the quality control component of who you would be having come work in your home. Um, was something that, that could be improved. And I looked at a lot of the digital platforms out there uh, in the marketplace, uh, Home Advisor, Thumbtack, some of the other more, more, more well-known consumer-oriented uh, uh, products. And just I found the process, the, the, the ability of what I call curating the Service Pro Network, so sort of that filter to maintain a high-quality level, uh, which is not in place. Those are, those are good companies, but, but I, I felt... Um, there could be a good amount of improvement on those processes. So I uh, came up with a business plan, like I said, with, with Dave, my co-founder, and, uh, and really we got excited enough about it, about the inefficiencies in home improvement, home services, that uh, we, we started Homey and, and really had it as a software-led, especially mobile-led solution for the consumer to be able to order a technician that we had curated in our uh, our network, depending on where you were, and we had uh, geolocation obviously in it, and we would push that out to the network via a marketplace essentially, and have the service pros, if they had capacity and availability, could then pick up those jobs, come to your home, and provide a great service because we had we had sort of vetted 
background check them, obviously had, had a lot of those required checks in place. So that was sort of the original concept for the company, which is really consumer focused, or had, had very little to do with insurance, other than we had to verify insurance coverage for the for the uh, service right. on the network. I would say about two and a half, three years ago, I was at a conference and Liberty Mutual, a person from Liberty Mutual saw the the product and you know we started a conversation and then I went up to Boston a few times to meet with their operating team and their venture team. And you know, I think they said, listen, this is we know you didn't build this for insurance, but you know, we've been looking for a way to really improve or, or augment our adjuster throughput. You know, so let's say an adjuster can handle five claims a day. Can a software solution enable them to handle 50 claims a day or 25 claims a day? Really, to, that adjuster pain point is, is we found now, uh, prevalent throughout the whole space. Right? There's a yeah. lot of turnover in that. It's, it's a frontline position or engagement with, uh, with, the, with the policyholder at a very stressful point in time when they file the claim. So we, we sought to Liberty, and then I think uh, they saw our customer satisfaction numbers and CSAT numbers were very high. And, um, and just like that, we were a tech-led solution. So we, they said, listen, would you like to work with us? And we'd also like to invest some capital in the business because we think this is going to be not only a big winner for Liberty, but just for the, for the industry as a whole. And um, we met, we had raised some money, um, about $10 million by, at that point for the software build-out. And we met with the board for probably a month or two just because this is going to be a pretty significant change. Yeah, there's a pivot company. there. There's a pivot. From from a direct to consumer model, uh, which was which was going well, to now uh, really laser focused on insurance and helping policyholders and adjusters um, with these pain points that, that Liberty and the industry had identified. So while we were doing that, uh, State Farm also had learned about what we were doing in the space. Obviously, the largest property carrier uh, in the country, and then Hartford as well. Yeah. Also heard about what we were doing. So, you know, we, once we had those other parties at the table, if you will, um, and then we had Ferguson Ventures, uh, large, uh, largest distributor of HVAC and plumbing supplies in the country. So we really had a, had a super partnership group, strategic partnership group there who was also willing to invest capital to drive our growth and our success. So we at the board level um, jumped at that opportunity. It's a huge market, you know, hundred billion dollar plus market, as you as you know. Um, so we at that point, two and a half, three years ago, we made that big pivot, strategic pivot, all to be all in in the insurance space. Um, and since that point, we've we've um, just got these fantastic partners that have helped us build out what we feel is the best in class software product, really around that mandate of how do we scale the adjuster and create a fantastic customer experience. So there really are two focus points um, that we, our whole team wakes up every day, um, uh, you know, focused on that customer experience during the claim. So, um, so in all those, all those great insurance companies have, have since invested three or four times uh, over the last two, two and a half years. So we, we're doing something right. Um, we've raised more than sixty million uh, to date, um, and we've actually added a Desjardins in Canada as another operating partner as well as investors. So that's amazing. Thank you. You have like the A team of investors in the insurance market supporting you and pushing you. How exciting is that? We we have not seen it, and I get this a lot um, just from other incoming 
potential future investors is how how do these uh, competitors in a space you know are they okay with it all investing and the fact they've done multiple rounds now yeah as to what we're building here and what we're delivering uh, to the market which is really just getting started as far as we're concerned is that powerful and that that sort of changing uh, that these companies are, are willing to do that um, because it's it's that that powerful um, we believe and we, we just love having these partners help us both advise, build our feature sets. Where do we want to take take the company in the future? So it's it's been just uh, extremely uh, positive, both I think for them, and they're pleased with their return. Um, yeah. Actually, just raised some capital, little small capital in uh, October in uh, in an up round, which you don't hear much these days. So. You don't ever, yeah, very rarely. I mean that that's so exciting. It's so exciting. I mean that's almost double the 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 figure I had written down from the website on on the uh, total raise. So it seems like things are going going well. Now with this pivot to the insurance did did you walk away from the direct to consumer or is that still there? We did. No, we we the work what we found. So the original plan when uh, we were mapping out with Liberty was really to maintain the core of that code base that was for the consumer. What we have found though is that when we've mapped out the adjuster journey from FNOL to completely claim, there's almost a hundred different manual touch points throughout that whole process, which just bogs down the adjuster and bogs down that customer experience from being a really good one during a claim. So we had to put 100% of our development resources into modifying the code base for specifically a claim end-to-end digital. So the answer is we have completely cut off the consumer uh, channel just because we had to to have... You know, you, you you know, development resources, good ones are in uh, very short supply and you want to really point them at the most valuable problem uh, that you need to solve. And that for us was really that adjuster journey. And then how do you scale them and how do you deliver that great customer experience without having to just hire a, a massive call center? Instead, you want, to, you want the software to really take the lead and deliver that and really only jump in on exceptions when something does go wrong. Yeah. So is that is that what you're doing for these these companies? Are are you really leveraging the software? And I guess a second part to that is where's the software sitting? Is it sitting at the at the adjuster's desk and they do the work to input the information, or is the software pushed out to the insured whenever they have a claim? Yeah, it's a great question. So we sit, we we extract uh, the, and I'm going to talk about the there's different variants of this, but the okay. optimal workflow carrier we extract the claim from FNOL based, based on criteria that they and, and we have specified. So that could be geo, that could be different payrolls. And what we do, we extract that claim, and we have basically think of pro capacity and think of a marketplace concept here. We have pro capacity in all these different states and geos. And we map it. Do we have a do we have a general contractor available in this market? Do we have a plumber in this market? Do we have a roofer in this market? Once that's cleared, at that point, we we essentially pull that, and we're running a parallel track with the adjuster. So the adjuster is now in more monitoring mode. They're jumping in when they have to approve coverage, and they're jumping in when they have to approve payment, and those critical things that an adjuster needs to do. So think of a software parallel tracked that the adjuster is not touching per se, but we're pushing that information back into exact, we're pushing it back into Guidewire, we're pushing it back into Symbility. 
So they're getting those updates in their system. We're not making them, you know, what we hear from carriers and we were careful not to do is layer on another piece of software for the adjustment. So we've avoided doing that and we sit in the carrier core system. Our software is running a parallel track, just with think of it as an efficiency track. So the adjuster does not have to do these hundred touch points, hundred emails, hundred voice, you know, all, all of those touch points are removed and the software runs that. And then the adjuster has more time to focus on the $200,000 claim that may be taking most of their time versus the $50,000 claim um, that yeah. the software can run. Well, I think that's a fantastic idea. You're, yeah. you're optimizing everybody's work day, allowing them just to be notified when needed and yeah. not always to have to go be searching in the system. I assume that was a difficult task to get integrated with. You just said three major ones, Symbility, Exactware, and Guidewire. That had to take a lot of a lot of time and manpower, right? Quite a bit. The first the first one was was CoreLogic that we did, which because it was our first and because we had sort of the legacy software was that's what Liberty uh, was was switching to at the right. time. So that was uh, that was certainly our toughest one, but but that creates the efficiency for the carrier and the adjuster. And really, what we want to build uh, and what we see with the carriers is the adjusters become our biggest fans because they scale. They're getting um, their great customer results uh, because they've got this this software layer running, basically on top of their their, their daily processes. So that's at a high level where we sit okay. or where we want to sit. I, I'm curious on a on a scenario and how it's handled on the the contractor side. A lot of times, a FNOL comes in, the adjuster thinks uh, this could possibly be a covered loss. It, it's a water leak. It's something like that. They're going to send Homey out there and their contractors, and then we determine it's not a covered loss. What happens? How is that handled? Yeah. So we, we, at that point, we enable in a water mitt case like that, that is, um, that's up to the carrier. Obviously they determine coverage and then the customer can decide whether or not they want us to continue that job. But, but we're, we sometimes, the large percentage of the time they do say go forward and complete the dry out or complete whatever the, the urgent, uh, if a tree fell on the home, they want it covered. So usually we will complete those jobs um, after some back and forth between the carrier and the, and the policyholder. Mm-hmm. But at that point, if, if the customer wants to handle it on their own, pay for it on their own, they have a cousin who's a roofer, or co- we're happy to step away at that point. Majority of the time, though, just for efficiency, they do go forward. But customer choice is critical for us to maintain with the carrier. So if the customer doesn't want... XYZ, we're, we're not going to uh, push forward with it. Got it. Now, the real power of Homey is obviously the technology, but behind the technology is a robust contractor network. Right. I read online, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but there was like 18,000 contractors in the network. Is that accurate? Is that close? I assume it's it goes up and down. Well, if you were reading the website from three years ago, it would be accurate. No, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> so, so the genesis of the network, um, in the past when we were doing direct-to-consumer, we had many, many contractors on the network, more single trade, you know, owner-operated. Okay. So we did have a very large number. Once we started moving into the insurance sector, we really tightened up the criteria for the network. 
So we've definitely elevated even further the quality of the network. And importantly, we've kept those original, what I call highly differentiated service pro groups than the traditional ones that a lot of the carriers use. A lot of the bigger, you know, nothing against the bigger ones. We, we have them on our network too, but we, yeah. we have a good differentiated network, we feel, because of just where we came from. We didn't come from the insurance space. So we've got thousands of unique pros that have been vetted, have done great work for the last, you know, three, four years that we, we love having on the network. So that's how I sort of define it. But it, it is in the, um, I would say it's, it's in the low thousands at this point, just because we've called a lot of those. Makes total sense. Yeah. So, so that's just sort of the, the, the nature of that network. But we've been fortunate enough, we hired um, gentleman Larry Nettles, who now heads up that uh, pro network. He previously was a contractor connection for, I think, 10 years or so. Um, so he's been fantastic in terms of, you know, he's obviously got the, the experience doing it and he's been fantastic in building out not only his team with folks who can qualify onboard uh, the right pros in the right area, but just building out the, the caliber of that network. He's done a great job. He's been on board for, I think, a little over a year, year and a half now. So I saw that. And I want to talk about your hires here in just a moment. I want to talk a little more about the network and what and what you're doing to to separate yourself from other contractor networks out there. You you yeah. said originally we had maybe eighteen thousand. We've cold it down. We have we elevated the standards that these people have to have. These contractors. I mean, what what is separating the the contractors? What are you looking for to allow them to come onto the network? What do you? I mean, what allows a contractor to be included in your network? Yeah. So, so um, our AR team uh, vets them. The only non-highly scalable component to our business is that onboarding of a, of a service of a new service pro. And the way, best way to think about it is when we onboard a, a new one, and let's say they're not sort of traditional insurance professionals, and they're in, you know, Chicago. We will, our software will be able to monitor them very closely when they're onboarded to ensure, you know, we've got SLAs obviously with that contractor that they need to hit certain timelines because for us, a lot of that customer experience is driven by time and mm -hmm. quality, right? You've got to be able to, you can't just have a, a contractor work quickly. He's got to work at a high quality level and quickly. So part of it is even with the pros, we found you can't push too much software in front of them as well because they've got their service Titan or they've got their backend uh, field service management software. They Some of our pros do use our pro-facing software. We do have that component. So we offer it if you want it. Otherwise, we can push those uh, claims back and forth from their field service management uh, backends as well. So we've sort of been able to bridge that we can offer our software to the pro if they want it, or we can push it into your FSM if that's preferred by you. So we sort of capture all of those um, pros across the network, but back to your question. So there's a, there's a, the software is monitoring the SLAs and, and the pros individually. And the easiest way when a new pro is onboarded is think of it as sort of red, yellow, green. There's a, there's a, not a red alert, but there's a, this is a new pro system is keeping a, a close eye and notifies our team if some of those SLAs slip. So we quickly can jump in. 
Um, and then once they've done, let's say, 25 jobs, they go to yellow, and then they go to green after, say, 100 jobs they've completed with certain SLAs that they've met. So it's sort of a, it's a, I don't want to say a monitoring, but it's a just keeping a close eye on the new service pros as we onboard them. Um, again, ensuring a, a great customer experience. And things go wrong, right? You've been in the of space. Course. Of course. Things do go wrong. We just want to be aware of it as soon as humanly possible so that we can jump in. And then we, we do jump in usually um, with, with human, with bodies to make sure that that customer is still satisfied and has a good experience. You bring up a great point about the customer feedback. I personally have been trying to get something done at my house. I need a, a new bathtub in our master bathroom. It's time. I need to get it done. And I think I have called seven contractors. Probably five of them have answered. All five had said that they'll come out and look at it. And I've yet to have a contractor come out and look at it. They all just walk away. They all go back. And I want to be able to give them all feedback and say, not doing a good job. Is that something you allow? Do uh, you allow the feedback from the insured or from the adjuster on the contractor's work? Oh, yeah. Like, like a, I saw online there was a star rating. I didn't know if that was a consumer portion or if you still do star ratings yeah it's actually both so we, we've actually advanced that so now we do we do post job surveys to all parties involved they're both adjuster policyholder so we have a very large amount of what i call automated input we actually do nps during the job so we're we're, we're, we're we don't do it to the point of being annoying to the consumer or to the policyholder but we want to receive that uh nps tracking both Start of the job, middle of the job, and I think the last third. So we do it multiple points. It's not just at the end of the job, um, which is, I think, one of the... I forgot which carrier told us that was sort of what they would consider best practices. So we've sort of latched on to that concept as well. Um, but we're, we're constantly... You know, insurance is a very data-driven business. We're data-driven, but on the customer sat side, making sure that that goes well because... At the end of the day, when we walk in to a carrier, a new carrier, it's really two, two key value propositions. One is short term. It's like after a six month period of time, you're going to see your adjuster ROI, that return on investment for your adjuster base go up by a multiple of X, right? Whatever that, that multiple, we've, whether they could do five claims a day, they're not doing 15, they're doing 20. So you're going to see that in the first six months. The longer tail of value, which is more sort of C-suite, uh, realization is the is the customer retention. That's something you don't see right out of the gate, but you see it when the renewal comes up for that policy the next year or the year after. Mm -hmm. That is our bigger data set, which is a huge ROI number, um, which we're still gathering a lot of that data, but we're, we're starting to get through the end of it. And if you can reduce that, that churn number essentially from nine points to seven for a carrier, nine to six, that is a big deal, and that's really the big data set we're capturing on the back end, which we think can be very powerful when we push that out to market. That's great. I want to talk just a second about culture. You know, you have a very unique company. In fact, I was driving down, I was in Tampa two weeks ago visiting a client, and we were going to a restaurant, very unique restaurant. And as I'm driving to this restaurant, I look out my left window and I see Homie. I drove right by the building and it's in, it's in downtown Tampa, not downtown Tampa. It's kind of by the water in Tampa. It's a beautiful location. And I was on your website and it looks fun. 
you're you're also hiring amazing people. You've hired a new CRO, uh, Wes Jones as the COO. Uh, L.A. Feltz got added to the board uh, a little while back. My, I, I assume still there. That's pure assumption on my part. But yeah. you're you're doing a lot of neat things, and and I'm just kind of curious. What's the thought behind the culture, behind the hires? Are those all in, in intentional moves you're doing, or are are you just getting lucky with having a good culture and good hires? Yeah, well, first of all, you should stop in next time you're in the area. Uh, next time I'm going to. Next time I'm going to. <laughs> this is my third uh, startup. This is you know something I love doing, which is sort of solving problems with software. So I've learned my, from those first two companies, culture is critical. And even post-COVID, it's critical. I think you read a lot of you know, well-known venture capitalists say, you, can you develop that, that sort of startup culture remotely? I'm in a camp that it's very difficult to in the way you could prior. So, you know, I've sort of got a pre-look at the culture, pre-COVID look at what we had built here and then post. And I'm definitely, and people who are here in Tampa know I'm an, I'm an in-person meeting guy if I can have it. I like people being in the office. But, you know, at the same point, we've got to hire the right, the right people with the right talent. So we've had to be flexible on... Um, in that regard, I will say all of our management team from uh, my CFO, CTO, COO, CRO, you mentioned Brandon Donatelli, um, all of them, my general counsel, everybody is has, is here in Tampa. So that okay. is critical from because uh, there's just so much. It's so much easier just to go down the hall and talk to my CTO or talk to Wes Jones, chief operating officer huge efficiency gains there. So that for us has definitely been a big win, which by the way, we did not have pre-COVID. We had people, you know, managing all over the place, all over. Right. So that's been, that's been a big, big home run just from a setting strategic guidelines and and OKRs for the company. So, so the culture um, is, 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 I would say evolving. It it was fantastic pre-COVID and it is still, we're, we're still trying to find the right mix and truth uh, uh, around the hybrid. You know, people come in some days a week. Uh, so we're still trying to find out. I think a lot of companies are in that same boat, but especially for, uh, you know, what I would call a well-funded growth startup. We've got a great culture here. People want to work here. You know, some, some of that from um, those are the, the folks who hired in that C-suite are pretty, pretty well tenured, both on the claim side as well as on the software side, whether it's from CoreLogic or, or other companies. So, and, and part of what we look for is that mix. Insurance, you want to have the core insurance background, but you also want to be forward thinking, right? That's yeah. what we've seen in the space. Some folks you have uh, may have a great resume, but they're not forward thinking. How can we change things? I know this is how everybody else does it. But how do we do it differently? And it's easy to implement too, right? You can't have a 18 month software uh, installation process for a new carrier. It has to be super low on an IT burden for that company to, in order to really make it make it quick and home run. So you can show them how good the data uh, is on that customer experience. Isn't that hard though? Sometimes whenever you get a great resume, it's hard to find out if they're truly a forward thinking person. Uh, or they've just been in the industry. That isn't that a tough one? Very, very. I mean, 
there are there are there are I would say twenty five percent you know because a lot of these I would have to do Zoom calls because a lot of that hiring was done sort of in that COVID period. Right. But there, I would say twenty five percent of the folks I interviewed you knew sort of after the first call that just were not going to be a good cultural fit. Right. And then there was a 50% that it was sort of maybe, and then others you just, and a lot of uh, the folks here who we, who we did hire were referred to us too by Liberty Mutual or by another carrier who has worked with them, yeah. knew our company, had been in our offices, had seen, seen the culture. Um, so I think that, that helped quite a bit when the carriers as well, who we were working with, recommended some folks. Yeah, well, Wes is, is a great example of somebody who's been in the industry a long time and there with a, with, with some ability and everyone knows Wes. In fact, I saw him at a conference. Oh, maybe maybe it was the uh, CoreLogic conference. You know, he, he's kind of the uh, mayor of the town. Everyone knows him. Yeah. Um, so that's that's great. That's great. I want to go to one more subject. I noticed that you acquired a company uh, in 2022 August, and that was MyCat Marketplace. Yep. What is that? What was the thought there, and how's that going? Uh, great question. I'm glad you glad you brought it up. So we, our business has evolved. When we initially started with carriers, we were what we classify as a low to medium complexity focus. So that was sort of think sub ten thousand uh, dollar jobs and perils. Since that time, as we've grown and the carriers we've heard want really a one-stop solution, we've added every peril. So from roofing, water mitt, we can now do every peril, every job size, $200,000 jobs we've done. So that, that expansion of our business has been essential for our growth. Now we can go to a carrier and not just be niched at the, at the lower end, which, by the way, is a huge there's still a huge need for that. And yeah. we still do a lot of those, those smaller sub $10,000 low to medium complexity claims, but really being able to say we can do the full spectrum of perils, full spectrum of, of dollar damage is a big deal for carriers. We find they want that. They don't want Absolutely. to be like have their system sort of carve up the jobs because a lot of them don't even have that type of technology in the back end anyway. So, so that, led us to um, one of the things we noticed with carriers, um, what they do is when they would get a, a cat claim or it's called a catastrophic claim, they would, they would take that claim, 4,000 claims in a week and try to shove it into their daily claims process. And it obviously broke. Things would break. Customers would get upset. Customers were getting serviced. And everybody out there was trying to get access to the same contractor base in the area or ones that were coming in. So we found that to be highly inefficient. And we did not, when we looked at it, we said, well, let's try to look at it differently and not take and just offer our daily claims process, even though it was automated to a carrier to do cat claims. So we looked around the marketplace, found uh, Larry uh, Nettles and Chris Petrarca, uh, founders of MyCat. Love Larry's background. Love Larry in particular. Um, so he now was a gentleman I mentioned before, heads up our pro network. We uh, he had seen firsthand the pain points of of cat claims when they came in, um, how inefficient that was. So really, he developed my cat in order to solve that. And really, what it did, which which piqued our interest, was it enables uh, predictive analysis from a storm. So think of a of a map of the U.S. You see storms rolling across. 
down to the zip code, you can see where hail damage is or where damage is in advance or predict that. And you can then, as a carrier, go into the software and uh, pre-assign capacity to our vetted pros in that area. So that ability to get ahead of a storm was very compelling to us and unique in the space versus the traditional, let's let the storm hit and let's everybody call in and then let's have a total uh, you know, panic and try to get everybody filled. And it just over time and time, it doesn't work. So we said, let's try to get a predictive uh, capability, get ahead of the storm and be a, a cat marketplace try to create some efficiency. So we love the product. Um, it's been a, a, a whole, you know, done just other companies, many, many acquisitions. This one's one of the best, uh, both from a cultural fit, from the software doing what they said it was going to do. And the, the, it has resonated with the carriers as well um, in terms of the value proposition. And we didn't have cat cats about a third of the total market. We didn't have a, a way to go to a carrier and say, we can handle cat claims as well. Trying yeah. to be that wholesome solution to the carrier. So my cat enabled us to do that. We acquired them uh, about a year ago now, and um, it's, been, it's been fantastic. Brandon Donatelli, our chief revenue officer, has, has presented this, demoed it for many carriers, and reception has been, uh, has been extremely strong. So it still is... Uh, you know, we're still still constantly developing it, but we couldn't be more excited about it. But that was a thought to get into the cat market yeah. with the software, with predictive capability in order to help the carrier. What a great idea. Do Will this be the, the last company you acquire or are there more on the roadmap for you? Uh, you know, we're fortunate enough to have in this time a, a fantastic balance sheet. So, mm -hmm. you know, we are always um, on the lookout for what I call sort of tuck-in acquisitions. Um, okay. If it fills out our product portfolio, we're, we're always um, open to that and we get along culturally with the founders and it makes and the businesses making money or will generate what we feel will be significant profits for our shareholders. We're always in the market and, and, and in definitely in acquisitive mode just because we do think over the next year, there's going to be some of the smaller companies, some shakeout ones maybe can't yeah. raise funding. So, you know, like I said, we're, we're fortunate enough to have these great strategic investors, um, industry leaders, and a great balance sheet. So we feel, you know, we're, we're definitely, um, you know, always for, for, for a good acquisition or tuck-in that fills out the product portfolio, we're always open to that. Well, you're in a great place. I mean, I'm just, I just keep thinking back to these partners that you have who have... Um, you know, showing their confidence with their, with their checkbook. It's, it's, it's really pretty amazing. Um, so 2016, uh, homie started in 2016. I mean, that's a, that's a lifetime, uh, ago. Uh, what would you, is there anything you would have done different looking back? Is there anything that you would have done different when you started? Would you have still gone straight to, to consumer or knowing what you know now, would, would would you have left that out and just jumped right into the insurance world? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, and uh, I, you know, it, the insurance space in general is because of the length it's been around and the importance of it to many people is, you know, I would say thoughtful and slow moving as a, as a rule. So sales cycles are very long. From our standpoint, if we did not have the focus on customer satisfaction 
from an original product built for direct-to-consumer, I don't think we would have gotten the interest we got from the insurance carriers knowing we're doing something different, but still policyholder customer focus. So it's not, I think it is, uh, it's definitely been with that sort of mid 10 year uh, pivot. It's always risky to do things like that, but the insurance space is, is really, we feel in need of our, our product and uh, we couldn't be happier to be uh, be in it and just helping policyholders with their claims. Uh, well, that's, that's wonderful. I mean, you've got such a bright future. The the technology behind the system, the the idea to acquire additional companies, building the culture, hiring the right people. It sounds like you're really on a on a great track. Well, Doug, we're we're here at the end of the show. I really want to thank you so much for being on. I, I enjoyed this conversation quite a bit. All right, you got it. Thanks, Lee. Thank you so much. Well, I'd like to thank Doug for being on the podcast today. He is a really neat guy, uh, starting a company back in 2016, running through the time when fundraising was a, a, a little bit easier to now when fundraising is not so easy, but he's still doing an amazing job, made it all the way through COVID and just continues to grow. Home is a very interesting company, and I, I think it has a very bright future. I'm also very interested in the in, in the company supporting it. Like you said, State Farm Ventures, Liberty Mutual, the Hartford, just just you know an A team of investors there. So, Doug, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today. To the listeners, thank you for for listening. Sorry that Rob was unable to be on, but I'm sure he will be back next time. And um, thank you to Alicia and to Al for all that you do. And uh, until next time, goodbye, everybody.